How can you be part of a religious community that straight up denies Sometimes science it feels like the church is trying to hold The church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with They keep trying to get answers, but they don't even know the questions we're asking. The church is the most vocal political voice against immigrants. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual how can your story be good status when the majority of people on the church seems to be stuck in ways when the rest of the like, culture is how is that actually it seems like so much of the church is concerned with being a good anti-critical they are being homophobic too narrow judgmental disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world <sighs> the church needs therapy welcome to the newest episode of the church needs therapy what I want to do this week is I want to talk a little bit more about risk. See, last week I talked about, one, how essential risk is to a real, deep, engaged, meaningful, powerful life of faith. Or how faith without risk is an empty gesture to an impotent God. So I talked about how essential faith is and then I talked about why one of the things you have to let go of in order to risk is your need to avoid failure or humiliation. If you're going to ever take real risks in life, you have to accept the possibility of failure or when I say humiliation, that is just the response of your ego when you fail, when things don't work out, when people you know ask you, hey, whatever happened to that thing? Then you have to go into this long convoluted answer about telling them why it didn't work essentially. So faith and risk, risk is essential to faith. How the first thing we need to let go of in order to embrace a life of risk is the need to avoid failure and humiliation. And this week, I want to add on that a little bit. I want to talk about how the second thing you need to let go of in order to befriend, what I, what I would say, instead of just saying risking, in order to befriend risk. And I like that phrase, you have to learn how to befriend risk and welcome it into your life. So the second thing you need to let go of in order to befriend risk and welcome her as a consistent companion on your journey is control. You cannot remain in control and take real risks. So to begin by being as direct as possible, letting go of control is always letting go of the illusion of control. <clears throat> The energy we spend trying to maintain control is always energy spent attempting to maintain the illusion of control. And we spend a lot of energy trying to maintain this illusion. See, taking a risk is always the movement from certainty to uncertainty, the familiar to the unknown, and from control to unmanageability. Right? Just beyond the edge of you taking a meaningful risk is uncertainty and the unknown and unmanageability. Right? You, you are stepping into this space that has all of those things. And that space just beyond the edge of risk is one where you do not have control. 
you are aware you do not have control and if you're really paying attention you become highly aware of the fact that you never actually had control which is why i say is it's letting go of the illusion of control right there is no avoiding the nature of this movement surrendering our ego's need for control and taking a risk is the only path in the passage beyond the boundaries of our current conditions and into the unmapped terrain of the future. You can't get around the surrendering control when you take real risks, right? But we think we can outsmart it. We think we can go around it. We think we can avoid it, right? Do you ever feel like that? Like people tell you how hard something might be. People tell you, this is something you should watch out for. People tell you, prepare for this when you're going to do something. And there's just this thing deep within you where you think you're the exemption. You think you're the exception to the rule where you think you can outsmart whatever that is. You can go around it or somehow avoid it. But without relinquishing the need for control, our exploration of life stops. Our experience of God wanes. And our vision for the impossible is tragically replaced by the management of the status quo. This is why I've said without risk, faith becomes an empty gesture to an impotent God. When you're young, faith is about what you're willing to believe. As you mature, it's about how much you're willing to risk. Taking a risk is one of the most natural ways to open yourself up to God. When all of your normal systems of management stop working, in that beautiful space of the unknown, you become more receptive and open to the spirit than ever. But what does it feel like to let go of control and still create? How do we embrace uncertainty and still commit to the work that we're doing? How do we take the boundary crossing risks into the unknown while still actively using all of our creative energy? Right, you know, it's not just surrendering and letting go means you don't do anything more. No, how do we let go of control and still give our lives fully to this world? Or perhaps I would say it like this, how can we be still and move forward at the same time? See, so there's this ancient story of the Israelites traveling to their new and what was called the promised land after they had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. After they were liberated and were now on their journey to this new life God had promised them, the Egyptians were chasing them and becoming a greater threat to their new dreams for a liberated life. It was like fear started to ripple through the Israelites like a collective wave. And when this happened, they started to panic and lashed out at their leader, Moses. This is how Moses responded in Exodus 14, 13 through 15. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And after Moses responds to the people, God speaks to Moses. Verse 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? 
tell the Israelites to move on. So the people leave slavery and begin moving forward with their new life. While the people are moving forward, they begin second-guessing and doubting, and they start wanting to go back because the Egyptians are behind them, chasing them. Then Moses tells the people to not be afraid, that they're going to be delivered, that God is going to fight for them, and then God tells the people to move on. Right? What a what an interesting, what a fascinating story. Through Moses, God essentially tells the people to be still and to move on. So be still and move on at the same time. Being still and moving forward somehow defines the heart of the body that lets go of any need for control, but still chooses to risk, create, build, love, and stay in motion. Be still and move on. To be still in verse 14 is the Hebrew word haras. This word can mean to be silent, to hold your peace, to rest, or even to be quiet. Right? It didn't mean just to not speak. It was actually a form of inactivity and allowing something to happen. Sometimes faith is about creating space and allowing for God, allowing for the Spirit, allowing for a life to be active that is bigger than yours. So God tells the people to be silent, to hold their peace, and to resist taking control of and putting their hands on anything that was not theirs to do. But once this was established, God told the people to move forward, which shows us a few things. You can be calm and courageous at the same time. You can be at peace and still be empowered to move forward. You can be free and still able to fight. Now, let me tell a story that I I hope can bring some of this together, sort of give it a little bit of flesh and blood, give it a little bit of form that can help us see it a bit more. When I was, let's just say 25, when I was 25 years old, I was in a predominantly black play that was that was done at the Wilshire Ebel Theater, this old historic theater in Los Angeles. It's on Eighth Street somewhere. I forget exactly, but it's a you know it's an it's an older it's a well known theater. And when I say a black play, it's the the cast is primarily black. No, actually, the cast was all black except for me, and the majority of the audience who came to see the play was black. And somehow I ended up in the play, and what happened was while I was in grad school in Pasadena, I, every once in a while, a professor would give us the option. A professor would say, hey, if you don't want to write this term paper or this final paper, you can do a creative project instead. And whenever that happened, I would take them up on that opportunity every single time. And all I would do is write a song and record it. Now, let's, let's go back a little bit. 
If you haven't heard me say that on this podcast before, if you don't know me personally, if you haven't heard any teachings I've done, I grew up rapping a lot since I was about 16. So from 16 to 18, I was heavily involved in hip hop. I was always rapping everywhere I went. It escalated to the point where when I was 18, I recorded my first song. I had a bunch of money offered to me. It was legitimate. This is what I might do with my life. I have this spontaneous awakening moment with God around that time. I choose to move to Hawaii to completely start over. That is a very short way of saying the whole thing. But, you know, I have this long history even before I was really, really, really like rapping all the time at 16 with hip hop. And it's one of those funny things when I think about my experience in that play, it's funny because I've had so many unique experiences in my life that I cherish so much. And they're, they're the kind of unique experiences that you wouldn't think I would be in. See, I have this really interesting life now where the people who meet me now cannot believe what my life was like when I was young. Drugs, hip hop, being around, you know, criminal activity, what a, a lot of other things like that. But the people I knew when I was young who were living that life with me can't believe what I'm doing now, right? I'm sober, I'm married, I'm a pastor, I have kids. Like, it's just this hilarious in-between place where the people now can envision the past, the people from my past can envision the present, right? It's this cool, sacred kind of secret I carry around with me. And, you know, people wouldn't imagine some of the scenes I've been in where they're like things people have only seen in movies, you know, where I kind of was when I was a kid. And that play is like one of those things where if you met me now, it's like, why would I be in this play at 25 when I'm not an actor? And like, it's just a funny thing. Well, because what happened was for that creative project, I would I would write a simple song. I would record it with a friend who has a simple home studio, wouldn't even mix it or master it. You know, and it it was me rapping. So it it was just an easy A. And for this specific class, a woman who was this NAACP award winning playwright heard my song that I recorded for the class. And then I don't even know if I knew her before, actually, but she approached me somehow and said, hey, I'm directing this play. I find out it's at the Wilshire Elbow. It's a sick theater in L.A. It's, you know, seats about 1,200 people. It's this really amazing place. And she says, I really want you to perform this song in my play. She says, you don't have to come to every rehearsal. You're not going to have essentially any lines beside this. So as long as you come to a couple of the main rehearsals near the end and you know how to get cued in. I just want you to go out and perform this song and then it'll like switch to another scene or whatever. And I just thought it was a fun opportunity, just this random thing that I did. And it was sick. Like I'm in this play. I think we're supposed to do two shows. They sold enough tickets where they ended up doing an extra one. So it was just me going out in the middle of this play, rapping this song I wrote for a seminary grad school. It it wasn't very theological. It was more social and political, the song. And I just rapped it in front of this huge audience at this, this, you know, this cool theater. And then basically just left each night. Right. It was, it was a really cool experience. And 
when we talk about being silent and moving forward, I remember being backstage before the first time I performed it and the nerves in my body, like the anxiety in my body, the anticipation in my body was so intense. Like I hadn't really started preaching yet, so I wasn't even, my body wasn't even used to being in front of people all the time. So it was like truly that kind of nervousness that feels almost like a, like violent in your body. Like, you know, when you, like throwing up is a violent reaction, it was like this violent anxiety and nerves in my body. And I remember feeling it backstage. It was so powerful. And I just sat down in this chair and I just sat there just taking deep, deep breaths. And I could feel this just nerves, anxiety, excitement, anticipation in me. And I just, I just let it all sit there. I said, I, I, I don't, first of all, when it comes to risk and feeling, feeling nerves and anxiety, I remember thinking, I don't get the chance to do this without accepting this discomfort in my body. The only way for me to give what I have to give creatively right now is to accept the nerves and anxiety in my body. So that's befriending, right? You're in the middle of the unknown, befriending all the uncomfortable feelings of risk. And I sat there. And I, as I just felt it all deeply without pacing and trying to avoid it, it was this deep, you know, to be silent, like, like the Hebrew word said, you know, to hold your peace, to rest or to be quiet. I just allowed myself to rest, to be quiet, to hold my peace, even as I felt discomfort in my body. You know, it's those moments to let go of the need to control the moment, to let go of my fear of failure that can make me hold back, to let go of trying to control the outcomes. It's just this be silent, allowing everything to be what it is, not trying to control things I can. And then once I sat there and felt all that in my body, then it was time to get up and to go out there and perform. God tells the Israelites in that story to be still and to move on. When I was in the back, it was me allowing my body, my heart, my mind to be still, to let go, to surrender. And then when the time came, it was time for me to move on, which meant to move out from behind the curtains and perform. Being still and moving forward is about entrusting everything to God, surrendering all of the outcomes, letting go of the need to control. And then immediately after you do that, making the decision to keep moving forward. See, in that moment, I would say this. In those moments, my heart is still because I surrender control to God. But my body is in motion because I'm taking ownership of my life. My heart is still. That's the part where I'm being silent. But my body's in motion because I'm taking ownership of my life and moving on because I know the Spirit is not going to step for me. The Spirit is not going to speak for me. The Spirit is not going to walk for me. The Spirit is not going to move my body for me. The Spirit is going to lead me beyond that curtain and into that space, but it is my responsibility to move on. It is God's responsibility and is God's 
capacity and ability as creator, as spirit, as that which holds all of this together to be able to absorb everything we surrender. But once we surrender all of that in our silent, it is the same spirit who is not going to move on for you. Be silent and move on. We surrender everything and then we get up and do the thing that is ahead of us to do. My heart is still because I surrender control to God, but my body is in motion because I take ownership of my life. The Apostle Paul talks about a life that is truly life. Letting go of control that is required to risk is the sacred criterion for experiencing what the Apostle Paul calls a life that is truly life because faith James says faith without action is empty. That might not be verbatim. I forget exactly. And I would say faith without risk is dead.